Hey guys, I'm Mike. And I'm Chris. And this is No Limits, a Mitch Rap Podcast. So how you doing this week, Chris? I'm doing good, man. Doing good. We've had a, a nice couple of recording sessions this week, and uh, I'm excited. I get to see your pretty face in person in, in two weeks. Yes, we got a reunion with the boys. Everyone's coming together in a couple of weeks. A little bit of a golf weekend. Maybe we can uh, do a little podcasting while we're together. Maybe uh, it could be our first reaction to Total Power. I can't wait. I can't wait. I really love that book. But yeah, I'm excited to be able to talk about that with you and everybody else. Yeah. Well, um, we have some other exciting things to cover today, such as our two book giveaways. We got to pick yes. our winners, Chris. Yeah. So we're going to be giving away Rising Phoenix. And this was a giveaway run through our Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Um, and then we're also doing another giveaway, Burn Factor, for our patrons. All right, so let's do it. I've got all the names, everyone who liked our post. So it's probably about 50 or 60 usernames here that um, I got in a random name generator. So you ready for me to spin that wheel? Drum roll, please. Here we go. Spinning. And Caleb Smith. Caleb underscore Smith. We will be reaching out to you on social media to send out a copy of Rising Phoenix. All right. Congratulations. All right. Our next one. I've got all our Patreon names, everyone who helps support the podcast financially. And I added our newest patron, Chris, Dennis. Yes. We want to welcome, we want to welcome our newest patron, Dennis T. Big Dennis. Good friend of the pod. Thank you so much. And we're getting close to covering our podcast operating costs. And so we'll be announcing soon our uh, first donation to the Prostate Cancer Foundation, working to support veterans and in honor of Vince, who is the reason why we do this. And so we just want to say thank you to all of our listeners. You can become a patron of the show, just like Dennis T, Sherry F, Peggy G, Catherine C, Ray M, and Jeff P, just by clicking that little orange button. Support us on Patreon on our website, mitrappod.com. And if you can't support us as a patron right now, please just go into Apple Podcast or your favorite podcast player. Leave us a little five-star rating and a review. That would be very much appreciated as well. All right. I've got all the names in the random name generator. I'm going to spin the wheel of all our favorite patrons. Here we go. And this is for a copy of Burn Factor. Kyle Mills' first standalone novel. Hey, Sherry F. Nice. Congrats, Sherry. Sherry, we'll get that book out to you in the mail later on this week. So, Chris, what content are we covering today on the podcast? So today we are super excited to share with you our interview with the one, the only, the man, the myth, the legend, Kyle Mills. We go deep into... Lethal Agent, last year's novel, and Total Power, the new one, coming out September 15th. Pre-order your copy if you haven't already. And we, we discuss, you know, his recent three-book deal and everything in between. So we hope you enjoy this interview. All right, so today we welcome, we're very excited to welcome, woodworking master, rock climbing extraordinaire, Kyle Mills who in his free time moonlights as a number one New York Times bestselling author. So thank you for joining us today, Kyle. 
Oh, it's a pleasure. Big news. You signed a three-book contract extension, so we want to say congratulations. And uh, I speak, I'm pretty sure I speak for all the fans and say that this is well-deserved. We're super excited for you to keep it going. I just wanted to start off. So now that you're six books in and you'll soon, at the end of this deal, you'll be at nine. You know, how do you feel about how this transition of taking over for Vince has gone now that you have, you know, a decent amount of experience with this novel and, you know, a ton of writing experience? How has, you know, writing these Vince novels, you know, gone for you? Shockingly well. Uh, You know, I, when I started out, there were a lot of reasons maybe not to do this. I, I was really worried that fans wouldn't want the series continued. Um, and no matter what I did or, or how good the books were, anything that this was Vince's thing and would be kind of seen as a usurper. But that was not the case. I mean, people really loved this character and they loved Vince. They wanted to see his legacy continue. So that was overwhelming. I mean, I, I honestly kind of was, had steeled myself for a lot of hate now when the announcement came out that I'd be taking over and, and finishing The Survivor. And it was the opposite. I was just like overwhelmed with mail of people saying how much they wanted to see the Mitch Rapp character continue and Vince's legacy continue. So I had a lot of people rooting for me, which is kind of the way to go in for, to something, not rooting against you. And then I worked really hard to, to write The Survivor as, you know, very much in Vince's style. Um, and, you know, I, I wanted people to not know where his writing left off and mine started. Well, thanks for carrying that torch for Vince. And the fans are real proud of how far you've taken it. And we are excited to see how far you'll go, not just in these next three books, but we hope beyond that as well. But let's get to Total Power now coming out September 15th. And you were somewhat of a soothsayer with Lethal Agent last year, <laughs> predicting the infectious virus. Can you give us some words of comfort that you're not going to repeat that with Total Power and the National Grid? How concerned should we be? Hopefully. So yeah, I had written a book about Lethal Agent. My last book it was about a coronavirus and uh, you know the potential for a massive epidemic. Um, fortunately, Mitch stops that one. But the, uh, I think, you know, honestly, in my mind, the greatest threat to the United States and the greatest threat to the world is pandemic. Um, I don't think there's any question, uh, certainly to the United States. You know, the Chinese aren't going to come over here and invade the United States, neither are the Russians. And I don't think anybody wants to shoot off any nukes. Uh, but a pandemic can just come up and, and I mean, it could take out, you know, half the human population over the course of a few months. So that was something I'd been wanting to write about for a while. And Mitch had never really faced a biological threat, which I thought would be pretty fun to have him do that. Not really his uh, arena. By the way, you know, we do our final ratings at the end. We were over the moon with that one. Yeah, that was it turned out to be timely. Yeah. Yeah. True. Yeah. I, I disagree with Chris putting it above transfer of power, but uh, we both loved it. <laughs> that's, that's, that's high praise for sure. I, I really enjoyed it. It's funny. I didn't, I didn't know if people, you know, I thought it was possible. It'll be interesting to see with the paperback, but that maybe people would be really sick of the subject matter. But then I realized I'm reading a book about, you know, the Spanish flu and so maybe not. Yeah. Like when, when this thing first started, 
Contagion was the number one movie on iTunes, and that came out in 2010. You know, so people just consume quarantine or uh, you know virus stuff. Yeah. Right. Yeah. In 2019, that was perfect because none of this was even on our mind, and that one that woke you up when you read it the first time. Really. Yeah. <laughs> well, it is amazing, you know, for for sure with Lethal Agent. I'm I have to admit I'm a little disappointed in the world's reaction to this. I think. Um, this one isn't too serious. I mean, I say that with 160,000 Americans dead and way more people. Sure. I mean, I like I come from Spain, right? And I mean, they were locked down. You couldn't right. go out of the house uh, other than go yeah. to the grocery store. And um, but it could have been much, much, much worse. Oh um, yeah. yeah. And uh, my hope is that this will be a wake up call to the world, and that we'll put some get put together some responses for this because a big one is coming and you know, it may not be today, it may not be tomorrow, it may not even be in the next 25 years, but um, we need to do better than we have. Yeah. Well, isn't that like why when Bush, he read a, a book about the Spanish flu, he like freaked out. So he started the whole pandemic. The task force. Task force, which anyways, we which got rid of. Go but, uh, <laughs> it hasn't gone yeah. very well, but um yeah, and I mean, it, it even plays into what I talk about in Total Power, and that is if you had something like MERS that is very much, much more deadly and tends right. to cause cascades in people who are you know, young and healthy, the people who keep the country running, you know, then the power would go out and the grocery stores would stop getting stocked and the water would go out. And so on top of the fact that everybody's sick and the, you know, the hospitals are overrun, now you don't have any power and there's nowhere to get it back on. So it's not like the plague where you know, people were already subsistence farmers and they were used to kind of being on their own. You know, we have a, a very complicated clock and with one piece breaks in it, you, know, you could see really catastrophic events follow. So, you know, fingers crossed. I hope total power is a wake up call because the way you deal with TJ and uh, the FEMA response, he seems to be a respected professional and has tons of experience in emergency response. Yet his answer to this is nothing. Yeah. Like, we're not ready. <laughs> yeah, I got nothing. <laughs> so, wake up America. Fingers crossed. Yeah. Fingers crossed. Yeah. The, the loss of the power grid, is definitely another, you know, significant threat that the United States is not really defended against. Um, and it's kind of a shame because I think it's another major threat. Again, you know, Russia's never going to row over here and come after us. And with their, but they certainly could hack into our grid, and they could certainly send ten spec ops guys over here to blow key uh, infrastructure. And according to Congress in the real world, um, you'd only have to take down nine major uh, facilities to, to put the entire country in the dark. And if, the, if someone, again, according to Congress, if someone took out the grid and it kept it down for a year, you'd see about a 90% die-off in the United States. So you know, over 300 million people. There wouldn't be much left. Every state would look like my state of Wyoming. Those two facts, I think, really jumped out at me that you'd only have to take out with no cyber attack at all. You'd only have to take out uh, nine facilities. None of these facilities are really guarded. I mean, you talk about a chain link fence with a with a lock on it um, and that would take down the entire country. 
and also the fact that, you know, the die off, I mean, if you kept the power down for a year, um, 90% of the population dying. So, I mean, it, it's an incredible threat. It's not, I mean, it would be hard to keep the, you know, when I looked into the research, it'd be hard to keep the grid down for a really long time. Um, but bringing it down would be surprisingly easy. So, I mean, I created a scenario in which it could stay down for a long time, but um, I think those things were really shocking and probably less shocking, but a little more depressing is that we haven't done a whole lot to modernize our grid or to protect it. So it's still, some of this stuff is really old. Some of the equipment, some of the equipment's so old that the roads that they use to bring it in are gone now. And you couldn't even, I mean, you couldn't replace it. You couldn't even get the things there, assuming you could get them. But a lot, a lot of the transformers are built in foreign countries and a lot of them are purpose built. So you can't just replace them with any old one. Um, so and some of them are huge. I mean, like would go across a road. You have to close a four lane highway to get them moved along it. So it's a, it'd be an interesting challenge. And it, if, if something like this happened, and in fact it has happened, there was an attack years ago on a, on a station uh, and a substation, a guy with a, or it might've been more than one person, I can't remember, um, who used a rifle to take out a substation. Uh, it was very smart, did it in a very smart way. Um, it seemed a little bit like a proof of concept. So if they did that, a number of people did that to large things or used explosives, um, you know, it's something to think about. Yeah, I was going to ask, like, where did you get your inspiration, you know, any real life events, uh, like, for this type of obstacle, this type of scenario? Well, the, the inspiration for this book really came from a book I wrote years ago called Darkness Falls. And it was about, this is not a Mitch Rapp book, but it was about um, a guy who had figured out kind of an environmentalist terrorist group that had figured out how to uh, this idea that the oil supply would be destroyed, which would, you know, obviously have refer, you know, repercussions throughout the world, major repercussions throughout the world. And because it was sort of foiled, um, I never got to explore all this research I'd done about um, what would happen. So it's always been in the back of my mind. And that was probably 10 years ago or something. I did that maybe more. Um, and I would be more. And so when I got, when I started thinking about what I wanted to do for this book, um, that came back to mind, but not, not in an oil sense, but in a, just a, an attack on the power grid sense. You know, that made this book truly unique in that the attack did happen. And one of the rare times Mitch feels that he failed the country in his duties. And so you do get to work with how average Americans and communities are responding and how their lives change, whether we're in a city, a major urban area, or whether we're out in the countryside with, uh, you know, a certain podcaster and at his home. So how do you deal with what happens to average Americans in the event of an attack like this, in addition to what happens to the CIA and the response apparatus, but almost more importantly, what happens on a human level to the communities that are affected? Yeah, it's, it's a really interesting thing to explore. So you've got, I mean, different communities would be affected differently, but, um, you know, everything goes away. And it's kind of interesting in that it was very hard to describe it 
that it's made COVID's in a way made it easier because people can see how things happen, whether it were things shut down. Um, this is obviously that on a much grander scale. But if you know, if you're in a, a major city, you know, the, the the grocery stores don't get replenished. You can't get out because the you can't pump gas. And if you got out, where would you go? The power's out everywhere. You couldn't and people run out of gas, and once they run out of gas, they block the the city streets, so you can't really drive. Um, you know, people would try to heat, maybe it'd be cold, people would try to heat with fire. We're not used to that in the United States. Fires would start, then there would be no response to that. It, it like the 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 kind of chain of events is really, really terrifying. Uh, even for somebody like me, I'd probably be better off than most. Yeah, I was going to say that. You'd, you'd probably fend better in Wyoming. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's nobody here, really. There's a river that goes right by my house you can drink out of. And, you know, there are a lot of elk wandering around. So you'd shoot one. But um, so the main problem that, that FEMA worries about and, uh, is that the water pressure goes out. And so when the water pressure goes out, nobody has anything to drink and sanitation is gone. So if you live in New York City, you know, if you're in the top of a high rise, uh, things are going to go badly for you. And that's, and it also depends on if it's winter or summer. Summer would be much worse. And then you can also take down all this stuff in a way that causes a lot of fires and like forest fires where the transformers blow and they're in kind of remote areas. And so now half the country's on fire. So it's, it's, it's a pretty terrifying uh, scenario. So while you were dealing with the terror of that scenario, this book had me in a really strange place because I also felt at home. You know, I was with characters I've loved and that you've developed. And I even felt comfortable around new characters that you brought in. And so there's a, one particular scene, a holiday scene, which is very cozy and, you know, things seem well taken care of and we're with all our great friends. Did you also want to put Mitch kind of in a comfort zone there, hanging out with his friends? How are you balancing the struggles Mitch is facing in this while also his family life, balancing his family life and these new characters, which we're kind of bringing into the fold? That seems like a lot to do in a terror scenario. Yeah, it kind of does. The thing with Mitch is he's really well set up for this. You know, I mean, he, he's built this gigantic bunker that's got its own water. It's got its own power. Um, you know, he lives, he has farm animals wandering around and, and all this stuff. So for him, it's much less dire personally than, than for, for most people. So his problem is that he feels responsible for it. Um, because as you said before, Mitch always solves the problem. And this is, this was one of the big things that I wanted to do in this book is to see what would happen if he failed to solve the problem. And he had to deal with it. Um, so I wanted to juxtapose what was kind of happening outside and give it a little more impact by showing what was happening inside his world, which is, you know, not too bad. He's got power. He's got, you know, food. He's got a nice fireplace and beer that he now keeps cold on the porch instead of opening and closing the fridge. But they're not, not too horrible for him. Whereas there are other people you know, starving. Um, yeah, I think I mentioned the nursing homes and stuff like that, which is something that COVID later hit where, you know, you, you can't heat them and, uh, you know, the waters get shut off to them and all these things. So um, kind of an interesting thing to explore. Uh, the guy who 
feels culpable for the whole thing is the guy who's definitely going to survive it. I mean, he's been surviving stuff like this his entire life. He's, you know, he's pretty base, basically like, well, this beast still beats Yemen. Right. You know? So you know, Mike just mentioned uh, new characters. Uh, we, we meet, uh, you know, a few new characters in this, um, in, in Sonia and Jed and, you know, they're very likable. Um, you know, where did inspiration for these characters come from and do you see them sticking around? Or can you tell us? Um, Jed, probably not. Uh, Sonia, though, yeah. You know, I, I, girlfriends, I mean, I, I kind of liked her and uh, Scott Coleman together, um, but girlfriends are a little hard to deal with because they, you know, they don't really necessarily play a role, and these guys are always off, you know, gallivanting around the world shooting at things. So we haven't mentioned yet the main villain of this book, and you've done a great job with villains through all six of your novels. You do a really good job creating John Alton. You get inside his brain of why he has turned to this. So can you tell us more about your inspiration for Power Station? Yeah, he, so John Alton, is he was kind of a fun character to write because he's just this truly awful human being who, who hates everybody and thinks everybody's stupid and that he's so much better than everyone else. And you have this internal monologue constantly going around in his head um, about how he, just, how he finds people just insufferable. So that's really his motivation here. He doesn't have any grand political schemes or anything like a terrorist group or something. He just can't stand people and is a bit of a psycho. Um, and it was kind of fun to write him because honestly, you know, you hate to admit it, but you think sometimes you've thought the same things as John Alton every now and then about people <laughs> and thought, wouldn't it be great if I could just kill all these people? Well, he does it. Um, and I think it was fun to go through his internal monologue and, uh, and what he was thinking about other people when he was in meetings or he was talking to people. And you got to see a lot of that. So uh, he was an interesting character, right? And I love villains, and, and I think something Vince maybe, I wouldn't say he didn't get credit, but he was over, the, the Mitch Rapp character was so grand that it, it, people forget that he wrote these really amazing uh, villains, and that Mitch Rapp wouldn't be very an interesting guy if he didn't have these great villains to, to vanquish. So I've tried to keep up with that. Going back to Vince's books, which one do you like the best or is closest to you? I think probably Consent to Kill. Um, I think that was an amazing novel. Uh, it was complex. It was, it was actually really long, which I struggle with. I, I find trying to write a really long novel that holds together and keeps people turning pages to be really hard. Um, so it had all the things that I really admired in it. So Chris and I noticed, particularly with Lethal Agent, a return to a very Flinian style or formula of how that plot progressed. And I see glimpses of that as well in Total Power. And so you've shown us your own style and stamp that you put on the series with Enemy of the State and Red War. You've shown us you can really do due diligence to Vince's ideas and plot structure what do you see as your path for the next three books? When you think about the writing process, do you, do you have any vague sense? I know you're an outliner, you know, the pantsers versus the, uh, yeah. the plotters. I know you're a deep outliner. So do you, do you think ahead on this next three book arc that you're going to undertake? 
I do. Um, Typically, I would say no, almost, other than this is one very long arc, you know, from American Assassin to now Total Power. Um, And sometimes I think about maybe two books, but with the new three, I think you're going to probably see kind of a three book arc, um, which is something I've never done before. And I mean, a fairly, a stronger arc uh, in the storyline. And that's going to track kind of the things that are going on in the United States right now. Um, you know, the politics of the United States and, and uh, the divisions inside the United States uh, and the changes in the world and our place in it. So it was kind of a, a question when I decided to do these three. At this point, I think as a thriller novelist, you can either kind of run from what's happening in the world because it's complicated, sometimes a little depressing, um, and kind of bring your focus in uh, on your character. And maybe, you know, I mean, the, the obvious thing is, you know, somebody, and I believe me, I think about this, somebody coming out of your character's past to kill them or something like that, and you can sort of ignore all the other things going on. Or you can really embrace it. Um, and I find politics and geopolitics to be really interesting. So I've decided to embrace it. and. We'll see how that goes, <laughs> because obviously people are, you know, things are pretty polarized and you don't know how people are going to react to things. But I find what's going on in the world right now to be super interesting and what's going on in the United States right now. So we're going to dive into that and uh, see how things go. That's, you were the, that's why you were the right man for the job. We'll see. I thought that, you know, in the character of Christine Barnett in Lethal Agent, you know, I thought you created her, you know, perfectly. Uh, I, I was fascinated with that character in, in the sense that, and then, you know, I, in preparation for this interview, I, you know, we looked at some of your old interviews and you mentioned in the crew, crew reviews interview you did that you'd sort of designed her to, no matter what side of the, the aisle you line on, you could see, you know, her being on either side or the, you know, the opposite side, right? And I just, I thought that was, you did a great job with that. Oh, thanks. That. Yeah, that was um, a little bit of a challenge, really. The the things have become very, very partisan, and but in a way, it's it's almost tribal and labely. So the it's not so much I believe in I don't know deficits or no deficits or anything. It's it's not coming down to that anymore. It's not coming down to public policy or values or anything anymore. It's very much you know this is the group I am aligned with. And so I didn't want anybody to be able to align with this person easily. Right. You know, I, I, you know, you didn't want to jump on abortion or global warming or anything like that. So, so I, the goal is always to get equal amount of hate mail from both sides. <laughs> and, uh, I think I achieved that, you know, people, you know, yelling at me because I, they thought, you know, she was just Hillary Clinton and other people yelling at me because she's just Donald Trump. And uh, so I feel like I did my job. Yeah, Chris and I actually had that same debate back and forth. And we, like America can learn, we agreed to disagree. And um, we both recognized each other's points and said, that's the mark of good literature, that it's not passing judgment on one side or the other. It's not a direct analogy to today's politicians, yet the character and the storyline can enlighten so much and rise above and point out both sides of the aisle. Uh, and all perspectives and make everybody question, you know, where they lie. 
And that's also, that rings true to what Vince did in his writing, wanting to highlight current political dysfunctions and point out, you know, head on problems with politics and gridlocking the system from making progress. Yeah. And, and this is something that I'm really interested in and interested in going forward, because I think, you know, I think there's this, this increasing, um, belief among most people that politics is not working. Um, but in my view, politics is working extremely well in that it's creating a ruling class and cementing them in their positions. And that's what they want. I mean, they don't, whether Obamacare is around or, or, or is not, most politicians, frankly, don't care that much. Neither do the hyper-wealthy. Um, what they want is to make sure they stay in power. What they, you can promote Obamacare if that helps you, get rid of it if it doesn't help you. Frankly, your health care is fine because you're worth $100 million. Um, so that's kind of what I more, was more interested in is you know, move away from this partisan stuff and to realize that these people, largely their goal is power, the perpetuation of their own power. And so the system's working really well. Um, it's ex working exactly the way they designed it. And I think that's fun to explore. And I think it's becoming, and something I want to explore is it's becoming much more international. So as you, as many people in the United States become in a way more nationalistic and more um, insular, uh, there's a class of people that are very much moving around the world depending on, um, you know, what's most advantageous to them from a tax standpoint. And right now, interestingly, what's advantageous to them from a COVID standpoint, simply moving around uh, to places where there are, is not much uh, of the disease. So um, kind of an interesting development, I think, in the world right now. And that was sort of setting the scene for this next three books where you have a different president, um, but who's very similar to her, who's kind of her understudy. Your response there and how in tune you are with politics and current affairs, I, I couldn't help think of term limits. Yes, I was just thinking the same thing. And I know you have a three uh, book arc coming up that you're, you seem well prepared for, but have you ever considered down the road going back in time? Would you ever like to try something new and fill in gaps in the past uh, from Rap's story? Similar how later in his career, Vince did go back to American Assassin come up with the origin. Maybe not something that intense, but is there anywhere in the earlier rap saga that you, you find you can plug in in the future? Yeah, I mean, exactly what you're talking about. I mean, certainly um, the arc that started with American Assassin went to Kill Shot and then disappeared. I mean, the, it was pretty clear that Vince intended to go back to that at some point because, I mean, you... I mean, it just sort of ended. I mean, we don't know what happened to Greta. We don't, we don't know how he and Hurley became like really super close. They hated each other at the time. So there's a ton of stuff there, uh, you know, between Killshot and, uh, and Transfer Power to, to plumb there. So I, it would be really fun to do that. Um, and maybe someday I'll convince people to, to let me do it. Uh, we'll see. Well, the, the fans are behind you. Yeah, I think so. I think a lot of the fans would be behind it. Um, a lot of them ask for it. So it, we'll see. I mean, I've, uh, believe me, I've, uh, I, I've 
promoted it and uh, and floated it by the powers that be because I think it'd be really fun to write. I mean, essentially, that's historical. You know, it'd be a historical thriller. That would have been like, you know, the, the late '80s, early '90s. So, well, this podcast be- is 100% behind you on that effort. <laughs> For what it's worth, <laughs> well, we'll see. I think I'd be great. I mean, I'd love to like take a real something that really happened in the past and then plug Mitch into it. So you'd be like this, the normal history that everybody knows, but then Mitch behind the scenes. I think that'd be super fun. Wow, that would be cool. I had a question that is so we on our podcast for every book we do, we um, we ask the the people which cover they like the best. So I have a question about. You're, you've mentioned this before in a few interviews, you know, you put input onto covers, but we've noticed that, you know, especially with these older books that have now had, you know, seven, nine different covers, there's just always one or two random book covers. Like, is, are all books covers, you know, approved by the author or, you know, you have some say and then it just goes past? Um, you know, some say, but I wouldn't say my artistic eye is all that great. Um, you know, it has to do with particularly something that goes back as long as Vince's stuff. Um, it has to do with the fact that care, the, the cover sensibilities change and right. covers start to look dated um, and they, they want to freshen them up. Uh, when I started with them, they redid all the covers in this. It's kind of almost like the, a little bit abstract, kind of an abstract look. Um, and it was the cover of The Survivor look this way it was a picture of istanbul and it was kind of abstract you had sort of the shadowy figure that was mid-trap and then they went back and did them all redid them all in that style and i actually really loved that style but then they decided that they didn't look very modern after after a while they didn't look very modern so they touched them up a bit so out of your covers do you have a favorite yeah you know honestly my first one they they got this guy who was absolutely amazing. It's a book called Rising Phoenix. And, and it's strangely, right after he did my cover, so I was just a young author, the New York Times, I think, did, a, did an article on him. My cover was on in this article. And his work was absolutely beautiful. And I would have never thought of, you know, this was kind of a book about America sort of being torn apart by the drugs uh, or the war on drugs. And... Uh, you know, the idea of having just this beautiful flag with a knot tied in it. You know, it, it, I just love that cover. That's a good one. Yeah, I like that book too. Yeah. When we started this podcast, we made a promise to each other that we're going to read more Mark Beeman. Yes. So uh, we're going to keep that train going. I think there are only like four, so it's, it's not as hard as, uh, or not as time consuming as getting through all of Vince's stuff. Yeah. True. So speaking of your, your previous work and um, maybe other thriller series out there if there were a crossover who would you want it to be because i think i know the answer for myself and for many fans out there if you were to cross over a, a previous character you wrote another character in a thriller series who who do you think would be most fun to team wrap up with you know it's funny i i wrote a what was it enemy i think it might have been enemy of the state there was this scene where Scott Coleman was so badly injured, he couldn't, he could no longer perform in his role. And Maslick didn't want it because he doesn't want to be a leader. And um, there's a scene where uh, Mike Nash is trying to, is kind of running ideas by uh, Mitch, and Mitch is just shooting him down, you know, just because he wants Scott back, but he can't happen. And 
I had a character who was a, this crazy former Navy SEAL named, uh, he was nicknamed Fade, and the book was called Fade. Salam Al-Fayed is his real name. And he's really, really weird. He's just a very strange guy, really funny. Um, and I thought my first draft, uh, Mike Nash says, well, what about Fade? And I had this really lengthy story of some like elaborate prank that Fade had had like had um, taken uh, Raps BMW and they were doing an undercover thing in India and like made it look really like an Indian cab. He put velour all over it and and glued all these little figurines to the dashboard and everything. And Raps basically like I'd kill that guy in like the first three hours or what do you say? It was something like. Like after I listened to that same Go-Go's record for the 50th time, I'd put a bullet in his head or something. <laughs> and I ended up taking it out because I thought, oh, I probably shouldn't do that. But I think that would be a really fun crossover. The obvious one with that, that people talk about all the time, fans talk about all the time with another author would be Scott Harvath, which would be super fun. And Brad and I have talked about doing I don't know, like a short story or something and then donating all the funds to charity or something. We've never gotten around to it. Sure. Again, the fans and this podcast would be 100% behind it <laughs> for the powers that be. Uh, that would that would be really cool. Well, that was really great talking to you about uh, both Mitch Rapp and Total Power coming out soon and some of your previous work. We have uh, some rapid fire questions for you. Some personal things, some random things. Fade would be into this segment. So here we go. What's your favorite villain you've ever created? Uh, Christian Volkov, probably from Sphere of Influence because he was this incredibly powerful uh, um, organized criminal from the, from the East. And uh, he's had an interesting philosophy that there's no such thing as legal and illegal. It's only about power. And I, I, I've always wanted to bring him back. If you had to describe Mitch's attitude from total power in three words, what would it be? She's, uh, I think, behind the eight ball. <laughs> right, favorite national park? Oh, Grand Teton. I live right outside it. We, we figured that one. <laughs> Which sci-fi topic would be more likely to make it into one of your books? Time travel, space travel, or alien contact? Uh... I think space travel because, you know, you got the space force now. So maybe, you know, if it goes on long enough, it might be Mitch in space. Mitch in, let's get hashtag Mitch in space trending out there. There we go. All right. <laughs> if you got an offer that you couldn't refuse to write a nonfiction book, what would it be about? Uh, probably, probably like human psychology and neurology or something. I'm, I'm very interested in what makes people tick. Makes sense. Yes, makes sense with Rising Phoenix too, and how America supports the uh, could support the villain in that in that book. Yeah. Um, if I were going to write a book, which name should I pick for the main character? I need your advice. Mark Rapp or Mitch Beeman? I kind of like the sound of Mark Rapp. Get the two hard consonants there at the end. And final question: uh, You mentioned you're a beer guy. Uh, craft beer or domestic? Craft. Yeah, favorite brewery. Uh, Snake River Brewery, right up the street from me. Oh, nice. I got to try that. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely a Wyoming guy. Wyoming through and through. 
Well, we like to end our interviews by asking what you're currently reading or consuming. Any books, movies that you've enjoyed during quarantine here? Uh, I am currently um, reading. Sorry, I, so I I'm learning Spanish, and so I read all my books in Spanish. And it would so I'm never sure what the title is in the English, but it'd be like the Murmur of the Bees, which is about. Strangely, about uh, the global pandemic in 1918, Look at that. <laughs> which uh, is actually sort of depressing fair. I probably should have chosen something else. Um, oddly, same thing with, uh, with TV. I only watch things in Spanish. I'm, I'm watching uh, Stranger Things in Spanish, which is kind of funny. I love that show. Yeah, it's a great show. I got to see it. Everyone's recommended it. I haven't gotten around to it yet. Oh, you got to see it. I need to. Gotta see it. I need to. I don't even know how long it goes. I feel like I'm getting to the end of season two and it seemed like it ended, but definitely there's, there's what, the third season. And then the, the final season is season four, which I don't know when that's going to come out now, but yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. I have the, it's funny. I have to pick, I, I pick all my shows by whether I can understand them or not, or, and like if they're in the sweet spot of they're too easy for me or they're too hard for me and stranger, stranger things is exactly where my Spanish is right now. Okay. You you spent some time in Spain recently, right? Yeah, I I lived there on and off. So, um okay. I was supposed to be there now, but we couldn't uh it really wasn't very practical to go. Uh we were supposed to go in June and be there for a year, but Right. I heard rap was there recently. Yeah. I think somewhere my, around my airport. in an airport. Actually, right? it's it's funny my uh that whole scene was uh I made my wife take pictures of the airport when we were flying out. This is kind of my home airport in Spain. And uh, she got caught because it's right beneath these big signs that say, you cannot take pictures of security. So she gets caught. <laughs> I like just bug her out of there. I'm just like walk off like I don't know her. And she's standing there trying to pretend she doesn't speak Spanish. <laughs> and she's like, oh, I didn't know what that sign meant. The guy deleted all the photos. <laughs> Oh, that's yeah, fun. totally. Just play the ignorant I was like, Oh my god, she's going to do this, and he's going to ask for ID, and it's we have like we're residents of Spain, and she's going to have a residency card there, and they're going to arrest her. <laughs> and then she's going to have to explain yeah, how she doesn't exactly. speak Spanish, but she's a resident. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, well, in addition to pre-ordering Total Power before the release on September fifteenth, how else can our listeners keep up with all things Kyle Mills? Where can they find you? Yeah, just. Uh, you know, you can follow me on Twitter or Facebook. Actually, I do Instagram a little bit now and then. And uh, my website, just kylemills.com. Um, there's email on there and stuff if you want to get in touch with me. Um, I read all my email and answer it. So um, just uh, I always like to hear from fans. Cool. Yeah, we, thank you for coming on. This is great. Yeah, good luck with the podcast. I'm, I'm definitely enjoying it. You're always welcome back, even before the next book comes out. All right. Well, let me know next time. Just shoot me an email or whatever. We appreciate you. Thanks. All right. Talk to you guys later. All right. So we hope you enjoyed that interview with Kyle. And we love doing that interview with him that we're actually going to be bringing on some more authors. Uh, so in the near future, look for more podcasts like that. In the meantime, please subscribe, rate, and review us. And as always, just let Mitch be Mitch.
just a disclaimer, this podcast is not affiliated with Vince Flynn, Kyle Mills, or Simon & Schuster, but thank you to them for bringing us the wonderful world of rap. And the music soundtrack is Guerrilla Tactics by Raphael Crooks.